you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. I often say this, it's a gift to be together, and I remind myself of this each time too, that you literally could be anywhere else doing anything else. You all had that option, and here we are. We show up in this place together often. Again, I say that for my own sake, to remind myself of why we're here and what this represents. And so here we are in the the fourth Sunday of Lent, traversing the wilderness as you're probably like, okay, we get it. We're in the wilderness, right? And and in the wilderness, we continue to to fast and pray and reflect. We repent and we hope. And, And it's fitting that we show up together in anticipation that God might meet us in the wilderness. There has to be something in us that believes that that might be true. However, once we get to the fourth Sunday of Lent and we've kind of like gone past the halfway point, we're, we're kind of in this season where it's like gets a little weary. If, if you're fasting something, you're like, okay, yes, kind of had enough of this. I'm ready to break that. Or in light of all that's transpired in the last year period, we are still weary. We didn't just like get weary all of a sudden in the fourth Sunday of Lent. It was actually one year ago this Sunday that it all shook loose for uh, at least churches where we're like, I guess we're not going to meet. And then we didn't for 36 weeks via Zoom. And, and that, was, that was the first wilderness. And now here we are in the second wilderness as we've been meeting outside since November. And so I, I guess I can relate to the weariness of the wilderness in, in that sense as well. And so here we are, people wandering, COVID, Lent, all of that. And man, do I relate to the people of Israel in their passage or the, what they say in our passage today. Check this out. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Or, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. What a crew, huh? You feel that a little bit, though? You feel that a little bit, right? Especially those of you who gave up something for Lent that involved eating or drinking. You're like, yeah, there's nothing here. And if there was just ever a sentiment that encapsulates the the season we've all found ourselves in, I think this is it. So in the tradition of God's people, we show up on this Sunday and we murmur and we complain and we bring our frustrations and we bring our complaints, we bring our pain, we bring all of that with them. And we say, God, you're going to have to meet us in this. We're going to need something to get us through, to get us out of all of this. And so here we are reminded that if anything else, as Aaron already said, we've got each other. So here we are. Let's, let's pray that God might meet us in the midst of the weary wilderness we find ourselves in on this Sunday. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we just, we welcome you again. We invite you to speak into our lives. We believe you want to more than we could ever want you. We believe you have something to say not only to us as individuals, but us as a community of people gathered here this evening as well. And so speak to us. Give us ears to hear you. Give us hearts to receive what it is you have for us. Open up our lives to you, Lord. Help us to set aside or even just set before you anything that might be hindering us from encountering the beauty of your presence this evening. We need you. We love you, God. Pray that you give me your words to speak tonight as well, and that I wouldn't say anything that's not for you or from you, and everything that we do here would just point to you, God. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.
Okay, we're going to check out the whole passage for this Sunday in Lent. So as you maybe know, we've been taking the Old Testament passages from the lectionary during this season of Lent, and there's some wild ones. And this one is actually really wild, so wild, in fact, that Chase was like, hey, Chris, can you take this? I don't want to do this. And so I took it. All right, so here it is in all of its glory, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Or, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who were bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole that anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. This is the word of the Lord. You like that? All right, let's, let's see if we can make some sense of this, huh? It, it is literally a wild wilderness here this evening. Okay, so at the outset of this passage, it's imperative to align ourselves with the demeanor of God's people. Right, we've, we've got to get ourselves in, in their shoes or their sandals, if you will, I guess, right? Why are they growing impatient? Why are they complaining? Where are they coming from? Where are they going? What, what's going on here? And to that, I would say, I'm glad you asked. Because here's the thing with God's people. This is the fifth time since they've left Egypt where they as people were enslaved for centuries. And this is the fifth time since they left that they've complained about their plight in the wilderness. They're like, this has just been terrible out here, right? They're trying to leave Egypt. They got out of there. They were no longer slaves. Catch that? Okay, whatever. No longer slaves. It's a song. Anyway, they're no longer slaves, right? And off they go. And they're complaining all along the way as they try to get to where? Anybody know? Fine, I'm not going to do this every single time and wait for somebody to give it a guess. But it's the promised land, okay? They're trying to get to the place that God promised them, right? So there's a promise in place here. They're after it, but it's just taken a long, long time. And so here they are the fifth time complaining, the people of God. There's no food. There's no drink. Right? It's a long road. It's like the worst people to go on a road trip with ever. Right? When are we going to get there? So you kind of get the idea of all of that. And so here they are murmuring and complaining. But this time something different happens. Usually they complain to Moses, their somewhat fearless leader. This time they complain and speak out against Moses and God. And we'll find out why this is the last time they do that. Okay? You might have a guess. It has something to do with snakes. But before we get too far ahead, right? Here they are in this place of impatience. When are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? When's it going to happen? Right? And if we get too far ahead, we won't actually ourselves note the spirit of impatience that lives inside of each of us. Ask yourself, what brings about impatience in you? Why are you in a hurry? Why are you rushing ahead? Why does a spirit of impatience rise up in you, in your life? Like literally think about it. We don't need to rush. 
We'll take our time. Why are you impatient? It's a great question, isn't it? So let's join the Israelites in their impatient living and complaining and see if we might encounter God. Next thing that happens, they say, why have you brought us out here to Egypt, out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. And they're murmuring and complaining. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. And I actually don't have like a fancy antidote. Like, well, why are they doing that? It's just because humans are fickle, right? We, we, can't, we can't just go, oh my gosh, we would never do that in the wilderness, right? The people of God spent centuries pleading for God to hear their cry and flee them from the oppressive regime in Egypt. Hundreds of years, right? Like about 400 even. And now... The food is so bad, they want to go back. And that can only mean two things. One, Egypt has some bomb food, right? Like that, that, that's, that's got to be an option. Or two, they stop trusting God. And if you're not good with dualism, it could be both. All right, it could be. Yet, we do the, the power of this story, a disservice of its upcoming healing potential if we just write them off as ungrateful whiners. Like that can't just be true, that they're just ungrateful whiners. And we all look at them and we're like, what is up with the people of God? We are them, they are us. And so goes the cycle. We can, we can experience this with them. So what happens after the complaining? Let me read this again. It's just great. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Now, hey, just, this is insane, okay? This is one great thing about like venturing into the Old Testament in pieces during Lent because you're like, that book is nuts, Right? It, it really is. This, is. this is wild. About one-third of people in the U.S. would claim that snakes are their number one fear. And so they open up their Bible, just cruising along, nice and easy in the book of Numbers, right, doing math. And then they get to this, and it's snakes. Snakes! Right? And these snakes, it's not just snakes. These snakes are poisonous. They're biting people, and people are dying. Yeah. I know, sends a shiver down your spine, doesn't it? It does for me. When we first moved to Phoenix a little over seven years ago, I went to this rattlesnake seminar or something, and, and I learned a whole bunch of facts about rattlesnakes that I will not tell you right now, but I also learned like how to be safe around rattlesnakes, which is essentially just don't go near them, right? So if you do that, you're fine, and yet they still scare the crap out of me. So this scenario is literally like my worst case scenario. That we're walking along in the desert and all of the snakes are biting us and we're dying? Yeah, that's what's happening here. But in this case, as the snakes start biting and as people start dying, what do the people do? They repent, which is a form of prayer. Right? They repent. They, they literally are like, okay, 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 okay. Stop. And they ask Moses to intercede on their behalf, and he prays for them. So even in a mass of poisonous snakes, repentance is as much of a possibility as God's desire is for that repentance. He literally thinks this is going to work. And it did, but it seems extreme. 
And so we're not sure what to do with that part of it, right? But what's interesting is repentance is the hinge point of all that's happening here. This is what God is after. And you'll note that it's not repentance of the individual or private type. We've been led to believe in the individualism of our society that every time repentance is to unfold, we like go into our prayer closet and we repent and then we come out and everything's fine, right? This is a group of people gathered together. It's a picture of communal repentance, Coming out of this season of complaining and then a pandemic of snakes, the people need to repent. You might start to see some parallels to the life we live right now as well. Forgiveness and healing are readily available to these people, but faithful repentance is necessary. I would quote, the poet Lauren Hill, when she says, where there's no repentance, there can be no remission. That's what she's saying, right? This is it here. So what does our repentance look like? What is our communal repentance? How does that unfold in a people of God gathered here together today in the midst of our own need for healing and forgiveness? Because that's an ever-present need. It doesn't take long to go, oh, I know what we need healing from. You're all wearing masks. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have died. We need healing. Not only that, in the middle of this last year of the pandemic, we were awakened again for the gazillionth time to the reality of systemic racial injustice. We've been hearing about this, get this, for 400 years, just like the people of God had been hearing about it for 400 years. We need healing and forgiveness. There are so many poisons that run rampant through us in our world today that we're like, man, how do we turn it around? Where are we going to go? How are we going to fix this? And I don't know if we know exactly how to fix it if we all veer off on our own and have individual moments of turning back to God. We need as a community to turn back to God and see what God might do with that. And so a thing that we did to kick off the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday, we, we prayed a communal prayer of repentance together. And I want to awaken us to that again in this weary season of the wilderness and remind us of what's actually unfolding in this season is that we're turning back to God again and again and again. And it's why Lent happens every single year so that we would be reminded that we can turn back to God, not only as individuals, but as a community of people. So we're going to pray a prayer together because the story of God points out this. We just can't go wrong when we turn back to him. I think we have it if I'm not mistaken. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a little bit of the prayer. Yep, there it is, the litany of repentance. And I'm going to pray the first part of it, and then there'll be little gaps, and you'll all pray together. It'll say things like, have mercy on us, Lord. We confess to you, Lord. Okay? Think you can follow along with that? All right. Here we go. This is how the prayer begins. Let's pray this together. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. 
Have mercy on us, Lord. We have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us, Lord. We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. We confess to you, Lord. Our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of other people, we confess to you, Lord. Our anger at our own frustration and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves, we confess to you, Lord. Our intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts and our dishonesty in daily life and work, we confess to you, Lord. Our negligence in prayer and worship and our failure to commend the faith that is in us, we confess to you, Lord. Accept our repentance, Lord, for the wrongs we have done, for our blindness to human need and suffering and our indifference to injustice and cruelty. Accept our repentance, Lord. For all false judgments, for uncharitable thoughts toward our neighbors and for prejudice and contempt towards those who differ from us, Accept our repentance, Lord. For our waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us, accept our repentance, Lord. Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us. Favorably hear us, for your mercy is great. Accomplish in us the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world. Amen. Lord, hear our prayer. And then the story comes to an end. Moses intercedes, and the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. All right, you got to let your imagination take over here, okay? If there's anything that I really do care about sometimes too in preaching, it's that we would just let a whole new theological imagination unfold. We have to imagine afresh again because would you just stop for a second here? There's snakes all over the ground, biting people. Moses intercedes, and God's like, well, you've got to fashion a snake head and put it on a pole. And so apparently he knows how to work with bronze, and he knows where to get a pole, and he takes some time as snakes are biting people, and he fashions it and puts it on a pole. Like, it's all just bananas, right? It is. It really is. Like, can you, can you see the scene? The people of God, they're spread out in the wilderness. The snakes are all over. You know what people do when they see a snake? Ah! Right, so everybody's doing See, I didn't do the mic. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's screaming out. There's snakes everywhere. Moses intercedes. God's like, you've got to fashion this staff thing with a snake on it. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't. But it's a wild scene that has to mean something. Like, it has to mean something, right? So as we look forward in this moment, in the season of Lent, we look forward to the cross, and we're reminded, obviously, that the cross comes before the resurrection. And when we start to think about that, sometimes suffering is the only path to redemption. And then often the road to healing 
runs straight through pain. And anybody who's ever felt pain and then been healed can attest to, amen. And I'll be the first to say that as you read a passage like this or you think about what Jesus is up to in the world, like it's not a particularly comforting message, but it's the truth. That's still true. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you a couple questions that have to do with the fear that these people possessed about what God was up to. What are we most afraid of? And what does that fear do to us as people? Start thinking about the things that you're afraid of. What concrete things do we focus on that epitomize our fear? In what sense do these become idols that keep our fear in place? What is God capable of doing with those idols? Get this, once they've been plucked out from under our feet and set up on a pole where we can see them clearly. Isn't that interesting? The snake's all on the ground and he pulls them up and he puts it up so everyone can see it. What does that tell us? about our fear. Barbara Brown Taylor says this. She says, if looking up at the serpent reminded the people to lift their hearts to God, then the snake was a sacrament. Isn't that crazy? The very thing that's all around their feet, killing them, biting them, and causing them to be afraid, when lifted up by the one leading them, it actually becomes a pathway for them to turn their hearts back to God. We're reminded that things God's intended for his divine purposes can actually be turned toward another purpose, but actually even back again. Will we allow God to repurpose our idols and our fears to remind us to turn our hearts to him? Isn't that interesting? The very things that might keep us from God can also actually invite us back to God. Thus, the nature of repentance. And sometimes when God's doing that, and he's loving us in the midst of that, it can feel like dying, or it can feel like being lifted up. Sometimes it can feel like the cross of Good Friday or the glory of Easter morning. That's still all God's work. And reimagining this bronze serpent on a pole comes along this guy named Jesus. And Jesus starts talking about this actual bronze serpent on a pole in John 3. Nicodemus sneaks over there at night, starts talking to Jesus. About 14 verses in, Jesus starts to talk about Moses' bronze serpent staff. Because this is the thing about Jesus. Jesus knows that humanity has this never-ending capacity to kill and to harm and to wound. He knows that. And yet, he dons this human skin. He participates in it with us and redeems us all. For that which can kill also brings life. Which is exactly what Moses was up to with the serpent salvation bit. That which can kill can also bring life when it's lifted up. Jesus says this to Nicodemus in John 3, 14 and 15. He says, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And when Jesus says believes, what he means is trusts. Anyone who trusts in him, which is the very thing that the people of God forgot to do in the wilderness when they murmured all along the way. That's the invitation back. And he's going to lift himself up so you can see the one you trust. This account in Numbers, somewhat surprisingly, to be honest, echoes this larger story of salvation. Jesus' violent death on the cross is the moment of God's redemption and reconciliation between God and creation. And still, whether it's Moses raising up a dead serpent or it's Jesus bleeding on the cross, it's a real odd way for God to show God's love and mercy to his people, granting healing through pain and lifting high an image of ugliness and death to bring about new life. And you're like, what? How do we tie a bow on that? And I'll tell you what, we don't. Because that's a whole lot of uncomfortable. And so you know what we do? During the season of Lent, it's why it's the passage for the fourth Sunday of the season of Lent, we sit in the uncomfortable silence with that passage. And we try our best ourselves to sit there and reconcile what was up with all the snakes and what was up with Jesus has come to do. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Sit in the uncomfortable silence. Sit there now. Just take a few moments. Let's just stay in this posture of silence and reflection. And I want to bring forward just a couple of the questions that we'd already encountered. Just sit in the, the presence of, of God right now and ask the questions again. What, why are you impatient? What incites that spirit within you?
Now just bring forth the question of what are the, the idols or the fears that you need to allow God to repurpose, to turn your heart toward him? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we don't know how to bring all that this passage reveals to us to a nice, tight close. But by your Spirit, we know that you've stirred something within each of us as individuals and us as a community. Continue to shake loose, God, the things that we set before you, the, the, the idols, the fears, the tendency toward impatience or complaining. God, would you help us trust you? We literally need help to trust you. Hear our prayer of repentance. Realign our hearts with one another and with your purposes in this world so that we might continue to love you and to love one another and to love ourselves. Root us in your love, Lord, so that we might walk in your ways when we leave this place tonight. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.